0: Hello, welcome to the Backwards Infect. Uh, my name is Luke, and this is my brother, Kane. Um, as always, we are speaking to things of a spiritual awakening, um, how you can come to understand an awakening. And two ways you can reach us, Twitter, at Backwards Infect. That's Twitter, at Backwards Infect, or... The backwards, in fact, at Gmail, if you want to write us, We'd love to have you on to discuss um, questions, um, any disagreements, any alignments, any awakening stories. Uh, we definitely would love to, to hear from you today on the program. We're going to follow up on some homework, a couple movies and uh, documentary V for Vendetta. Uh, And the last shaman. They're both about forced awakenings. And we're going to take a deep dive into sort of the moral compass of awakenings, um, when it's right to force an awakening. So, yeah. Um, And we're also, we start off the program with a word or phrase. So, Kane hit me with a word that I am. Waiting to hear the direction that he's going to go in, but it is classification. Uh, he's had some time off to, to ponder on this, so looking forward to your, your start off of the program, sir.
1: All right, good to be here. Yeah, classification, uh, that's one of the words that I'm kind of um, getting stuck on very recently recently. And I'm finding it kind of as an opposite of adventure. So I think adventure is the state that you're trying to stay in. To, to stay in, and then I'm noticing that even in my moments of clarity, especially in the car, especially in a car ride, um, classification is pulling me out of that sense of adventure. And I think the key points is like when I'm driving down the road and I'm trying to maintain my sense of adventure, maintain my sense of wonder, maintain my sense of I don't know everything, understand the world as if I'm just first born, understand the world as if maybe I'm on an alien planet. But it gets really, really hard when you're driving around and there's a gas station and you'll see, you know, like the 7-Eleven sign and immediately that classification just kind of pulls you out of that state and you're, you for sure know what that place is. And then you pass a restaurant and it's got words and it has a name and it's a Chinese restaurant and you for sure know what that place is. So it's pulling you out of that sense of adventure by constantly being in that stream of classification. Now to counter that, one of the things i think it kind of depends on where you're at regionally like what kind of surrounding and environment you're in but i'm trying to focus much more on trees as i go by and i'm also noticing that i can kind of while i'm driving just be up a little higher and just like above the tree line especially if it's cloudy out i can stay in the clouds and the trees and then i can just kind of move through and i can get that sense of adventure but it's it happens so quickly and i don't know how to fight it off like if you read a word that word just seems to like process as knowing and like like words are like the enemy in this circumstance like it's it's the enemy of adventure because it just immediately puts you to this place of knowing but i think that's interesting because like why are we so why are we sure we know what we know like if you look at the road system in whatever environment you are and you understand it as like an artery. And then that road system will break down into veins. And then that road system will break down into like capillaries and like all of human traffic like maintains itself, like in this like tubed out system. And then like some places are for gas, some places are for food, some places are abandoned, but why why are we so sure of what all these congregation spots are? Like we're so sure of ourselves, but you know, a gas station on a spiritual level could be more of a place where people like are being hypnotically advertised. So there would be like a hypnotic advertising, uh, energy in that place. Like, so why do you, and and that would be something that you don't necessarily know everything about. So why do we get stuck in that classification of, oh, that's a gas station. I know what that is, and is. I'm just done. Like I've processed that. And I've noticed that battle with me internally. I just thought it was worth bringing up because to, to be aware of that and to watch your classification leads to a greater sense of adventure, which is the path we all want to be on.
0: So it goes hand in hand with, with labeling things and how you lose yeah. sight with, um, for me, when I, when I walked, walked into, you know, just, just being super aware of wherever you're at. Um, I mean the hypnosis of life and the patterns that we all go through, it's pretty indicative of the, of the behaviors that we see and their classifications. Um, I always, especially at the familiar places try to be as present as possible, walking into big stores or gas stations and being aware of the somewhat of the rat race that's around me. Um, and just being pure observer at that point. Um, but the, I mean, the classification process does kind of hit you immediately as far as where you are and, and what the place is. But it, it's up to me once I walk in or go into the place and start to just be a complete observer, observer of how everyone else is classifying things as well. Um, and I've seen a lot of things and I've learned a lot of things from, from the rat race of just observing those, those people.
1: Yeah. And it's, I'm often like wondering now, like why are we so sure with with our classifications? We like that judgment behind the classification And I mean, just like you said, if you could have like some awareness, I mean, there is at times like maybe more to a gas station or more to a restaurant or a restaurant is actually a place where you could have a higher vibration of energy because it's like a family setting where everybody's sitting down for dinner. So it would create like a different type of atmosphere. But we, that judgment and classification, just moving through the world, trying to maintain a sense of adventure I'm just noticing a a real pull and a real fight to like really fine tune that awareness because I feel like it's kind of like one of the earlier conversations we had where like how quick that judgment happens. It's, it's so fast. And I, I certainly don't feel like it needs to be there, but I don't quite know how to... Uh, not let that first thing in that's kind of pulling me out of
0: like a, a greater sense of adventure so the class the classification you're talking about is with judgment though that's what you're well or just the, you're saying like just just the fact that you pull into a convenience store and um you know just might be a shitty convenience store or do you- Right. in the way that we used to talk about it with like
1: landscaping and stuff, like you see right. landscaping, right. that's like let go and like immediately like that judgment. Right. You're, you're just on it. It happens so quick. And it's never correct. I mean, you can be aware of it very quick, too. Mm-hmm. And maybe like maybe what I'm searching for doesn't exist in terms of like not having that initial sense of judgment or classification where it's just the awareness afterwards, but I'm just the process of classification or judgment. And then the quick awareness, it's just if I can keep my eyes on like a tree line and the clouds, like as I'm moving down the road, I'm saying like you can kind of skip that process altogether and you can kind of just move through the system. And then when you come back and you, and you've moved through the system a little bit, And and let's say you've gotten, uh, you know, five miles down the road, then when you pull back to the structures that are supposed to represent something, you can almost start to just notice them by shape. Like, oh, that's a shape there. There's an entrance there. There's a window here. That must be where the beings look outside. You know what I mean? You can almost take an alien view of things. But as soon as you stay in that structure, like sooner or later, you're going to read a word or you're going to read a phrase and like automatically the word almost represents classification and judgment.
0: So is it, uh, are you, a lot of times I do this and I observe a thought that, that comes in and I, I realize the awareness kicks in that there is no attachment to that, but are you so aware that you see the initial thought that you're not connected to? Like you see that in your mind's eye, that which you're not connected to, but it's just uh, because when I, whenever I had my first awakening, you have about a two second, one second head start on most reactions, right? Right. So you would actually see that classification about one second in your head before it actually happened. Yeah. So. I mean, are you just seeing that pop up and observing it or yeah. are you like, yeah, in and
1: and, and my, yes, I am. And my only like uh, conversational thing against that is even that little bit of time, even though it's not a lot of time, it's pulling me from the adventure time and the adventure time is wonderful and it's like to have anything pull you away from adventure time for even 2 seconds like you're trying to avoid it so i'm just mean one those words those classification those signs those directions i mean you just you can get lost in them just reading them as you go down like why do i need to know what each one of these freaking buildings is like what does it matter my destination is 25 miles away why am i caught up with this display That's obviously there as a display for this mass traffic that runs through. And so it's a constant battle because, you know, one will be super flashy and super interesting. And that's the one that gets you, you know, so it's a constant battle of like trying to pull yourself out. And then it, it, you know, the advertising money does its work and it pulls you back in. But it's just a fun little noticing thing. And that and mainly I just was is the realization of how that classification is the enemy of, of adventure
0: that's a good point a good way to sum it up i mean you could uh, it's not without a sense of gratitude that you can see these minute 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 things that happened in the brain and activity because most people in in a hypnotic lifestyle uh, they're never going to see um those small intricacies like you're seeing so it's almost like it's almost like you've come so far with your awareness that you're splitting hairs but it but it's yeah. beautiful to see because you it, i mean the journey is the journey and if splitting hairs comes to uh the minute of minute things as far as looking at how we classify um that is that is really really good awareness i, re- I mean it's 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 right where you need to be yeah pretty cool to see
1: yeah you set up um scavenger hunts and stuff nowadays and so you you almost set off with the intent of adventure and so it's that like it's that intention when you get a little free time or time on holiday or whatever could kind of um and this is all new to me but i mean it can kind of adjust like The way you look at like errands or you know a goal that you have to go out um
0: to achieve for the day or whatever and um so that word intent really hit me there because when you said intent now it's painting painting a real clear picture of um the so the mind's eye operating the same way like how many attractive thoughts that or not attractive thoughts or morbid thoughts that pop in your head and try to steal your attention away it's the same yeah. way in marketing like you were describing driving down the road and all the things that want to grab your attention all the companies yeah. that want Kane's money it's the same type of attention war in your mind as far as the thought stream and, and watching it flow by it's a perfect analogy because your intent is to go out on an adventure and that adventure be bliss. Same thing in your mind. But even if you go out into the woods, you're still going to be watching things go like a river through your mind because they're going to want to grab your, t- not for money. It's not a money thing, right. but it's a, for some reason, there's a lot of energy that want our attention. Um, there's, there's some sort of payoff that we've talked about in length, but yeah, there's different motivations. Uh, in the physical world, it's definitely money for sure. We can delve into the payoff of entities and, uh, the feeding that goes, goes on inside of us. Good opening though. Um, Always love to set the tone with um I go back to it every time because I'll I'll never forget the day, but you know, that those first couple of weeks, that first week, you you realize so many things were backwards and definitions of words and phrases. So that's definitely the theme and, and how we wanna put us in the correct mode to, to start off the show. It kind of gives a backstory of how the backwards in fact came to be. But getting into V for Vendetta, you hit me with a homework project, I think it was um, One Emotion podcast uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I we had a special guest and just got delayed a bit, Um, but I had the opportunity to watch V for Vendetta, Um, also the same makers of, of The Matrix which I thought was an awakening movie, uh, the original awakening movie and the same writers brothers wrote and, um, produced the V for vendetta or just wrote it,
1: uh, wrote it for sure. Um, could have been more than that, but yeah, they're the ones behind the creativity. And
0: then just so happens that I knew this podcast was coming up and, on netflix the last shaman popped up and i'm always looking for a good documentary especially in the in the likes of um, awakening or um, talking about different religions and how they work i mean i'm a sucker for those documentaries and i saw the last shaman so i tasked him with watching it it's a story true story so we have a hollywood um rendition of an awakening which was done quite well and then we have a true story the last shaman about a man who tries to force his own awakening and that is a phenomenal watch um as well i would encourage if you like this program and you want to get a different point of view and see something on a screen that depicts what a spiritual awakening is watch V for Vendetta and watch the last shaman. That'll give you two different perspectives. And I think shed some light on, on what we always talk about. So with that, I guess we'll start with V for Vendetta. You have done, uh, like I said, you've had some time off. um, So you've, you've had some, some time to really work on your notes for, for this one. So I'm, I'm ready.
1: Yeah, first of all, it's like a DC comic book character. So like going into the movie, there's no expectations of it, other than the fact that it's kind of goes into the Guy Fox mask and what, there's kind of a parallel story going along where you have the anarchist who's waking up a society. So there's this other parallel awakening going on, but it's going on on the level of the society. And I had no expectations going into this movie, Um, but there was like a little voice in my head and I have I have a list or maybe it's not even a list, but I can kind of remember a movie or I'll see like a movie and I'll be reminded like, oh, you have to watch that since your awakening. And V for Vendetta was one of those. I couldn't even really remember why I couldn't really remember the movie all that well, other than the Guy Fox mask and understanding it was an anarchist against the system. But then right in the middle of the movie, you have Padme. What's her name? Uh, Jeez. I won't remember her name, but she goes, I always call her Padme from Star Wars, but um, she full on has the awakening in the movie. It's this beautiful, this beautifully directed depiction of like what an awakening looks like. And just to start it at the very beginning. So she is a close confidant of V the character with the Guy Fox mask. And They are very closely tied because uh, they've run into each other multiple times and he's helped her out of a few pickles. He actually enlists her into helping with some of his anarchy style um, duties that he has going on and one of them goes badly and she gets caught and she gets arrested. And I think we can kind of tell from the reveal of the entire scene, like he set that whole thing up. Right. So he enlists her. She believes she's helping within this system, but it was all an orchestrated plan from the beginning to actually imprison her under him, under V. So, like, the maliciousness of it is just astounding. I mean, it is total intention to go straight at her awakening. The first part he has is, goes at her, she must rat. And you can leave right now. All of this can end. You can get out of prison. All you have to do is rat. All you have to do is give up V. And so she makes her first stand there. When she makes her first stand, she is immediately tested with isolation. So this is serious isolation. This is not only jail, but this is on the level of um, uh, solitary confinement. So I think at this point we can start seeing like that would be, I think you would agree, like certainly a key ingredient to an awakening, solitary confinement.
0: Yes, Yes, it would have to start with that. No matter if it's voluntary or involuntary, um, there has to be there has to be somewhat of you pulling yourself out of uh, the rat race, so to speak, whether it's quietly in your bedroom or uh, as as you're talking yeah and
1: so we've talked about it a bunch and i think we have you know uh some legends like eckhart tolle and osho behind us on the idea that there actually could be more awakened people in prison than there are in the normal population so i don't think it's any surprise that this type of isolation would be um
0: certainly in the direction of spiritual awakening. so yeah that's a very very good point and that um That makes it crystal clear. Uh, Not that necessarily that there's awakenings to the degree of force necessarily in jail or prison, but if you put someone in solitary confinement for so long and you have a spiritual teacher with the right authority that comes in, that awakenings happen on a grander scale than if you put... 20,000 people in an arena and pulled them out of the rat race, and someone spoke truth to them, you may have zero awakenings. So, the analogy is perfect.
1: Yes, agreed. So, the next analogy we get to is the shaved head and pretty much naked torture. Like, there's a shower scene where she's completely shaved, completely stripped naked, and almost reminds me of like Rambo First Blood where um she's just getting showered in like this torturous way which is like a baptism which is like a cleansing um and then from that moment she's right back into solitary confinement but i thought it was a great metaphor for cleansing the body for what is to come
0: absolutely absolutely
1: What was this? I can't read my own writing. Oh, dietary torture. So she's forced into fasting as well. So sol- solitary confinement as well as it looks like the food is so bad and so um, infrequent that she's also forced into a state of fasting. I think that's fairly clear, which I think we went over actually last week. Um, At this point, we begin to kind of get an idea of what's happening. Because at this point, there is a seed planted. There is a seed found in the cell and a seed planted in her. And I think to describe this seed would just be hope. Like she doesn't really know it's going to get more in depth to it. But at this stage, there's a seed of hope in this state of fasting, solitary confinement. Um. The seed reminds her that she's not alone. This has happened to others. This is, um, she can kind of take a little bit of comfort and she's traveling down a path that others have traveled down as well. This new hope leads to more torture, which is actually along the lines of like waterboarding. So literal breath torture, restricting the breath, Over and over and over again. It looked like to the point of unconsciousness and then back into solitary confinement. But it would be really hard to
0: ignore your breath if you were under the conditions of like waterboarding torture. I had forgotten about that scene. Correct? Thrown back into solitary confinement. Now you're forced to have the awareness of the of the breath. Yes.
1: Um, the strength from the seed story is actually that hope from the seed story is what's giving her the will to get through that breath torture. So she's tied like her, her breath of life to this seed of hope. And they do a really good job of tying that analogy together. So it's that hope and that breath. And you can almost see her like, Gain the gratitude of her own breath through the combining of those two scenes. The seed, as we move on, we realize is a true love seed. So the seed is all about true love. It's all about the establishment of love. It's all about the quantifying of love. It's all about love being one emotion I mean, the seed at this play point when it's planted is resonating with her on a very deep level. This whole time she's being interrogated by dark faces. So faceless, dark people, which kind of mirror V. So V's always in the anonymous mask, and then these torturers are always in these dark faces. So there's a very... Um, interesting parallel going on there she gets to acceptance of death through clinging on to the self so this is what the love sea taught her but i thought this part was super interesting so she's gained the acceptance of death but she gained it by clinging on to self So it's that one inch. So the lady's writing. She's writing it on toilet paper. She's like, they're taking everything from me. I have nothing left. I have no humanity. But I have this one piece, this one inch of me that they can't get, that I'm going to hold on to. And I don't care if they kill me. They're not going to take it. So it's clinging on. But look at what's happening there. It's clinging on by a thread. A thread, but that thread is the self. Like it's kind of pushing her almost in the wrong direction because she's going deeper into self. But the way that they're doing it is she's doing this as like an avoidance of death. It gets very, very tricky. Her mind's playing tricks on her here. And obviously, because this is a whole big, you know, torture trap that she's caught herself into. Strong seed of love. She starts to understand it's unconditional love, unknowing love. The love is even being resonated like onto her. She's feeling the love. She's accepting the love. And this love is almost starting to dissolve that self. The seeds that love. The dissolving, and you can almost see it clearly, and they demonstrate it just like they do with Neo, it's non-reaction. She hits a state of non-reaction. Obviously, like represents coming to terms with losing the self on the outside and, and, and identifying with an authority on the inside who is done reacting to things and has accepted everything, including her own death. Now, I want to look into your eyes for this part. The last dark face that comes in and challenges her fears is Agent Smith, is the actor who plays Agent Smith, who is also the actor who plays
0: V. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? I'm serious. You had to look that up? No. No. I. Because they never show his face. the time. Old... They never show his
1: face. But that last scene in the cell, you can tell by the outline that it's him. And then when once you hear it, if you go back and listen to his voice, you'll be like, oh, my God. But you kind of have to be told that it, it was the actor who played. Because I think I watched like a That. Is- like a deleted scene, something or whatever. And I didn't realize it until after either, but I was like, Oh my God, that was agent Smith the whole time. But the last dark face that comes in and challenges him, he says, you have no fear. Therefore now you are free. And he leaves the cell door open and her imprisonment ends with the guard turning around, walking out and leaving her in an open cell. And she's told specifically, this cell is open because you have lost your fear. And the delivery of that message comes from Agent Smith. If you go back like it's not Agent Smith and those dark faces, it's different. But that last dark face is Agent Smith. That's what's so freaking cool about it. She gets out. She realizes the guards were fake. It was a facade. It was a stage. The realization that life is but a stage, this real Shakespeare moment there. Thought it was brilliant. She ends up going through another door, which leads her into a place that's very, very familiar to her, and that is V's residence. So at that point, she is beginning to understand that it's betrayal. This is betrayal, it wasn't real why did you do it and v's answer is because you wanted to live without fear this i think is the most important part in terms of how i relate to awakening because it's mirroring something that happened in me like what's happening there is she's putting that betrayal on v but it's this great analogy for the betrayal that goes on inside like when you come to the realization of your own ego that's almost the first thing that hits you is like you are not serving me you've
0: been betraying me this whole time i remember seeing that and i I remember seeing that in you yeah i i understand how you can relate to that especially with the uh, ego construct that you had built and in that be- betrayal moment because it was stronger than mine. Her reaction
1: there, the strongest reaction we've seen the whole time. So she's already hit her non-reactionary state, but this this moment causes the most intense reaction we've seen from her so far. I hate you. Complete emotional, I hate you. And what's so great about it is V relates to it automatically and joins in with her hate. Yes, I hated too. I was ready to take that hate all the way to my grave. I remember that hate clearly. So she has this moment where she's revealing her hate, but V can't help but to identify with it in complete compassion because he's already been through that hate one of the best lines of the entire movie is given by V here Um, supposedly it's a line that came from her father artists use lies to tell the truth damn (laughs) so that's Osho right there (laughs) that's pretty good That's definitely Osho. I mean, that's, there's so many times where, like you, I mean, I don't ever find myself, like, obviously going to be in this position. I mean, you and I have kind of already talked in terms of, like, the ethics of, like, a forced awakening um, and how you know, we're probably on the other side of this. So this is all theoretical. Like we're not going through this in terms of like, we want to force people to wake up. It's just an interesting example of like how that could play out. But one of the, one of the things that you get stuck on ethically is like, you would have to get to a point if you were going to force
0: an awakening where the ends justify the means. Correct. Unless someone voluntarily wants a forced awakening, and then it's a forced awakening that's, there's two different kinds of forced awakenings. One that is asked for, and then one that is completely against their will. And this is definitely an example of against the
1: will. Or it's him judging her will
0: without her knowledge. Yes, this the, the V for Vendetta is against her will. That's a perfect example because the next one is is one that is not. So this is this is one that right. is is against the will. Yes, the morality of, of that is up in the air. I would agree.
1: Artists use lies to tell the truth. I mean I could I just see Osho smiling every time I read that line. It's just it's so him. Um, she gets to the point, I can't feel anything anymore. That's her statement. Breath overload, emotional overload. So it's that panicked hyperventilation, emotional overload. Um, V's very good. This is the most important, most important moment of your life. Recognizes it right away. Commit. He just asked for her commitment to that moment. Um, she goes calm and still acceptance and immediately in that calm acceptance speaks the intent out loud. I need to be outside V walks her to an outside vestibule where it's raining. And there's this beautiful cinematography that's going on and there's only one line given and that is God is in the rain. Super powerful, super powerful. She goes outside and cannot distinguish herself from the water on her, the water in the air, the water in the ground, and God. So there's the full immersion into the awakening. And I just thought it was a great example of, you know, somebody putting it on screen, like what this whole process looks like.
0: Yeah. Great note taking. I'm, I'm glad that you, um, had it all wrote down like that because it's exactly what we're talking about. Um, and what we're dedicated to after an awakening, once realizing that there's an omnificent presence, um, that can flow through you, that you're a part of, that you feel in, in the rain that moment when she walked outside, um, anytime that I could see that, I mean, I thought about you when you awakened how everything becomes oneness and the realization and all the love that comes in all of a sudden wholeness is experienced. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. That movie depicts it uh, from Hollywood so well, so well. And like I told you before, I, I had my skepticism of, of, of how Hollywood was actually going to depict an awakening. And aside from the morality of it being a forced awakening, the mechanics of it, however you come to that awakening, are the exact same. So I guess the Hollywood rendition of it was something that me and you are never going to have the story and throw someone in a cell and waterboard them to to get them to awaken. (laughs) <laughs> but but it right. is these I can relate to the pain involved of an awakening because mine was more of a voluntary forced awakening. So I if you could bundle all that up into you just sitting quietly in your room, you're experiencing a lot of the stuff that you see on the television. And how it's depicted is really, really amazing to me because there's so many things you go through quietly with the door shut when you're trying to force your own awakening. It's extremely painful. There's a lot of realizations going on. Um, but when you make that breakthrough and you see that, that wholeness and experience that wholeness, and for me, my breakthrough in my mind's eye was when that that light came into my mind's eye that was brighter than I've ever seen before, and then I had the fill up moment, and then walking outside was like walking outside for the first time. Everyone's is going to be slightly different, but it's good to see something on the screen like that. That's kind of like a code that I've never really heard that many people talk about the Matrix as as an awakening uh, movie. But there is there is some code work going on in the Matrix and V for Vendetta as far as what it means to have a spiritual awakening. So I'm glad I watched it. It was uh, it was pretty cool. Go watch V for Vendetta. <laughs> I think it was the... I must have
1: watched uh, like a you know what I think I did? I think I watched a YouTube video about the movie afterwards because like, this is fun to do. Like there's so many YouTube channels with like matrix commentary. And, um, and just like you said, like trying to see if anybody's onto it in terms of it being an awakening description. And the matrix one weight goes way more into like simulation theory areas. And the show that I watched on V 4 Vendetta was going way more into like the society complications. So the society waking up from V's antics, but it doesn't go into that personal awakening story that's going in. And I mean, there's no way around there is that story that's going on there as well. So it's just not to say that the author of that video didn't understand the movie or didn't have that take, but there's just multiple ways you could look at it. But in that video, he puts the character of V like in that moment in that last dark face in the cell and puts agent Smith next to it on the screen. And I was just, I was just floored. I was like, Oh my God, that was Smith the whole time. That was agent Smith the whole time. So all that V stuff, like V when he's doing all those rhymes and stuff, that's all Smith
0: makes me want to watch it again. Just because I know I'll see things for the second time and uh, that would be one of them it's
1: just a fun movie to kind of have on in the background and you you know the parts now when to really pay attention you know
0: right so there's the, the the question the morality question someone comes to you and me and says hey i intellectually understand what you're saying I watched V for Vendetta. I intellectually understand. I watched The Last Shaman. I can relate to that. I want an awakening, but I needed to be forced. How do you answer that question? And if it's voluntary and if the question is asked, is it just about more questions coming at that point? Or is it actually something mechanical? Is it something you have a problem with morally? The, the framing
1: of that specific question is very interesting. Um, Cause I think the last time we talked about it, we were in like more of the direction, like what if there was like a button like on the arm and all you gotta do is press that button and somebody will wake up. But if you press that button, That means like they can't press that button for themselves anymore. So you're robbing them of the opportunity of pressing that button. And then what's the ethics in pressing that button when that person is supposed to press the button? And as soon as you do, now you've taken away his opportunity to get it done himself.
0: Are you taking it away or are you showing him what ultimately he's going to have to come to full acceptance because V, if if you break it down, V tortured her, but she still had to turn the key. She still had to accept fully what was real. She had, she still had no matter in, I'm not talking to to the degree of the forced awakening like that, but at some point you're you're showing someone the door, but how many ways do you have to force them to the door? Ultimately they're gonna have to they're gonna have to open that door. But the forced part comes in where, you know, thirty times you might have to shove their face in the door. Yeah. That's where it's coming in for when someone's asking, Hey, I need you to force me to awaken. I mean, the forcing or the direction is for them, you know, you're like slamming them up against the door, you know, 30 times until they finally, finally open it. But the ultimate experience is going to be for them. I mean, if it's conversational and it's just a matter of
1: like, relentlessly calling them out i think that we would be comfortable i mean and it would be great because i mean if the call out was having an emotional reaction i think you and i would know like that would be the moment to push harder push harder through that emotional reaction so it wouldn't be like trying to push him towards the pain but just if we ever got in a position where we sensed pain you would know like yes that's the right direction And so if they come up and they've already like stated their will, like I need it to be forced. And if they like try to turn and take a breath, you would just push them conversationally, push them right back in that direction. Like don't let them get a hold. And then the only question of ethics is like, how long could you keep that up? And I'm sure there would be an exhaustion level. I mean, for the one delivering the message and for the one hearing it, because it does get to a point where, I think, I I think it just is like a length of time. Like if you just keep pushing somebody in that direction and they still are not accepting it. Like, so I I don't know, is the ethics wrapped up in like the length of time there? Like I'm certainly not 100% comfortable with it, but it's interesting when you ask the
0: question the way you did. So waterboarding is out of the question. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs)
1: Well, it's funny because for, for the self, I think waterboarding could be hugely helpful. I I mean, it doesn't have to be like to that degree, but like, for example, the Wim Hof method that he's always talking. So, I mean, he's deals a lot with the cold, but even in his work with just the breath, it's, um, I'll, if I do his method, I always do 33 breaths. So 33 quick breaths. And then that last breath is a breath hold. And because the the breath is so rapid that you've oxygenated the cells to such a high degree that when people are practicing this, that breath hold is lasting at least two minutes. I mean, some of the guys are getting past three minutes. So that's just part of his technique is pushing through that boundary of the breath, like, but doing it personally. So, I mean, in terms of waterboarding, being out of the question, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not going to hold somebody's head down, but there is a lot to be gained by that extreme breath work. It just forces so much awareness on the breath system and then it creates a response in the body that's just so tangible that it can't be ignored. So your body will start tingling like on a level that is so intense that thoughts are not really relevant and if you do have a thought it'll be like very specific to like what's happening inside your body but i mean you certainly won't be thinking about like what you forgot to get at the
0: grocery store right very interesting at um what's to come i'm sure we'll have many examples as time goes by have you seen his, he, his app is free. Wim Hof. You should check it out.
1: It's he's, uh, he goes through it with you and it's, it's an extreme, um <laughs> uh, breath work. I mean, it, it'll, it will cause some reaction in your cells for sure.
0: It's interesting. I'll have to check it out. So you want to switch gears to the last shaman? Everything have anything yeah. left for v
1: no, I think that was pretty good. I mean, just highly recommend uh you know in terms of you know the system being on screen. it's just so cool to see it there, and yeah, that's it that it has so much of the things that you would consider necessary to dissolving the ego and finding yourself empty. And then uh, being filled back up with something much bigger.
0: One last question: if you if you were watching that movie before, especially, you're probably a perfect example. And I I, I guess I know the answer. The way you watch The Matrix, would would you have understood V for Vendetta on an intellectual level? Would you have not liked the movie at all? Would you have understood the raindrops, or would it just been like complete skepticism?
1: So yeah, this is really interesting because, like I said, it's not like a list I've written down, but every once in a while, like as you're scrolling through like movie titles or something. Like one will come up and it's almost like this buzzing intuition. Like I remember the way that movie hit me and I don't necessarily know why, but I know in this new state, I need to watch it again. So I've had that sensation multiple times, but what it exposes is that betrayal of self that like V was talking about. Like there, there's bigger concepts that my ego was hiding from me. So yeah, it would have been pure skepticism. I would not have been able to accept it as it was presented. I probably would have gravitated much more to like the society anarchy part of that movie. The same way in The Matrix, I related way more to the simulation part of that movie. I probably would have just put all the intellectual analysis into that and I would have probably called it a great movie just in terms of that, just in terms of the, the anarchy's success of, you know, waking the society up. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have understood that personal awakening moment. So
0: just... Pushing people to l- watch the movie that possibly are still looking for that awakening. Your message to them would be, I understand there's going to be some skepticism, but how how should you watch the movie intellectually and and it sparks something in you to realize that? See where I'm going with that?
1: Yeah, because what I would have said is probably like that scene was too dramatic like her emotional response and everything was too dramatic. Like it doesn't make sense. She's just way too into that moment. Like what is going on? Like this doesn't even add up, but that's what I'm saying. Like I also had the intuition to go back and watch this movie again. So there is clarity being hidden from you by the ego. Like you're hiding things from yourself. But somewhere on some level, it's still resonating. And it's resonating hard, but it can't come out vocally. It can't come out in your own perception. But so if somebody who just wants to watch it intellectually and you like you don't understand it, just watch it and have fun. It's a fun comic book movie and just bank it away. And if one day you find yourself in a position where like you're no longer agnostic and you're, you you can't. Defend that position anymore because you know there's something great, or go back and watch that movie and it'll hit you. It'll hit you hard.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a good point at the end. So, switching gears to The Last Shaman, I have a lot to talk about. Yeah, great freaking film. Um, thought the documentary was uh, well made. Uh, again, this is a true story. This is about.
1: Super well yeah. made. The cinematography was amazing. Yeah,
0: some documentaries, you know, like the content or something's off or some, you know, documentary is what it is. I mean, some are, are, are major hits and some some fall short. But uh, for me, and, and just to have both these to talk about, um, it's so right up my alley uh, with this man's story. So it's... It's about a young man who has the normal American boy childhood, Um, probably upper middle-class parents, um, definitely has the expectation of going to college. Um, And he actually went to college for under the – what you would call now as pressure from his parents. Um, he went, went to college. I'm not sure if he finished, but he, he, when he went to try to figure out his life, he was 21 or 22. So he might've got halfway through college. I can't remember. Um, I can relate to it so much because I despised school for the system that it was. And I, I can't really relate as much to the pressuring parents because we're more of a middle-class family. So the expectation of college and, you know,
1: becoming Well, both of his parents were doctors. Correct.
0: Yeah. So yeah, we didn't have that kind of pressure. Uh, every kid has pressure of who are you going to be when you grow up? And that's, that's a concept to even talk about, um, because that's pressure in itself. Like who are you going to be? Like you have to, decide and just go on this path and and especially when you know, 16 17 18 i had no idea who the hell i was but if you want me to like form this fictitious character i guess just put all the pressure on me so i can just become who i think i should be for society every once in a while i believe there's someone with so much intuition and aliveness that it conflicts with their internal being so much that they go crazy, so to speak, because of all the pressure. So you have a doctor, mother, a doctor, father. So you have that pressure, but you have a genuine kid who wants to find his own path, whether that's being a janitor at 18 and working his way up, whatever it may be, he wanted to make his own path in life. And he had pressure from father mostly, I think, um, to be a a higher educated person. My whole point in that definitely is, is especially the way the system goes. Not everyone is for college and just some people, we, we need doctors for broken legs but we also need like natural healers that, that don't have like the rote learning. So there's, there's different things that we need in this, in this system, but more and more we, we can see that we need more of the natural stuff. But anyway, so the guy literally starts going crazy mentally. So what does he do? What everyone does. Uh, his parents are doctors, so he goes to the doctor and they give him medication like antidepressants. And just a um, disclaimer for me and how I'm going to talk about drugs, I am definitely don't have the education or training or knowledge to understand what these drugs do to you. I have my own personal opinions about an antidepressant being a conscious killer. Um, a numbing pain, just as, you know, just as alcohol would do if you, you wanted to numb something down to to numb that mental activity. I'm not, um, I, I don't know the science behind it. I just have personal opinions. So take them for what they are. So he's on drugs basically at 20, 21, 22, um, because he's gotten to the point of suicidal. He's lost himself. And I think it's so relatable because when you're growing up as a kid in this country, especially if you have affluent parents that want you to be just as successful in terms of society as they are, that pressure can be insurmountable, especially for someone that already probably has a high intuition. So you can tell with this kid, he was just internalizing all this anger And he really didn't have like a lash out anger probably against his parents. It was just kept internalizing, internalizing. Like he had this, he just hated that pressure. So they put him on drugs and you know, the documentary started out with him on train tracks and he got to the point where he wanted to kill himself. So the name of the documentary is the last shaman. Everything else has failed. He's on drugs. Still doesn't, still hasn't found himself um, my personal opinion is you're you're only masking the problem. Uh, if you if you go to any type of psychiatrist and they put you on any type of antidepressant, maybe there's a perfect scenario for a person that needs that. I'm unaware and probably uneducated to know. Um, but he goes on a journey and they make a documentary about it. And he starts to to Peru to Peru where, um, there's a lot of shamans, a lot of fake shamans, a lot of exploiting, uh, tourism and, and, uh, you can only imagine, you know, you go into different countries that it's kind of like going to in the States, maybe like Las Vegas and one out of a, maybe that's a bad
1: analogy well it's the ayahuasca which is creating the market which is corrupting the yeah, system yeah so you,
0: uh, well uh, i guess basically what like going to las vegas and there's like 100 psychics and maybe one is sincere right so there's there's 99 that just want to take your money so it's about right. finding the shaman that actually has some sort of sincerity and what he what he ends up landing on is uh i think a shaman that didn't take any money So there's a bunch of series of events. So he starts out with shamans that um, doesn't really help him. And then he finds this final shaman that you can tell he starts to awaken. What's the name of the drink? Ayahuasca, Ayahuasca, which is psychedelics, basically like mushrooms. So there's definitely an effect there to where he's being able to
1: it's a slow release dmt i believe it's um it two plants have to act um in coordination together and it's the interaction of these two plants that creates the drink ayahuasca which is a healing psychedelic
0: that's uh in the
1: tribal societies.
0: And two, just like in an awakening, it starts to, you know, show you images of, of past and your childhood, things that you may, when me meditating and forcing things to go through, I didn't necessarily, you don't get a mental image with everything, but you know, you're breaking through pain. I think with the psychedelics, you actually are taken to the moments in childhood where you actually get pictures and um, Mm -hmm. to where you can actually, you know, it's just right there in front of you. Um,
1: see the birth of pain where it all began
0: yeah so it's 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 forcing that awakening because you're it's just right in your face like here this is this is your past now look at it and uh, we need to get back before this before all this trauma took place so it's a beautiful documentary the length of time that he was there it depicts him uh, was 120 days
1: yeah it was I thought it was four months. Yeah, hundred
0: twenty. Yeah, yep. different awakening techniques that they used. Isolation was one of them.
1: Yeah, yes, and the ayahuasca was really kind of over right at the start. So yes, there was ayahuasca at the beginning, but after that was the 120 days of isolation so it wasn't like this was just like him drinking ayahuasca until he came to or anything like after the ayahuasca experience then begins his experience with 120 days of isolation
0: yeah so and and i expected a little bit more progress on on the days that went by but this is a man that chose to try to find himself not knowing what he was looking for. And he even said, going into it, you know, I'm not looking for God. I'm not looking for this big spiritual, whatever that wasn't his intent. I mean, it was apparent that he was lacking something and anger had taken over because he had moments of um, rage that you could see that would come out and um,
1: I think he said he just wanted to be human again.
0: So yeah, he had got to the point and that's where I think the drugs come in because once you start taking the antidepressants and you don't even see, you know, you can't feel a sunlight or not feel, but not see it the same way. It drums down all the feelings. Right. So you're not thinking as much. Um but anyway, he got clear of all of those uh, drugs that he was taking back in the States from psychiatrists. So he had to go through a cleansing of his body. That was all part of it. Um, and then the ayahuasca came and then the uh, confinement for 120 days. And you could start to see him slowly, um, slowly wake up is one of the uh, very slow process. Um, it seems like in that environment, it would be very swift, but it just goes to show you like how deeply compacted that anger was. And there was a scene at the very end where they put a net over his head and, and face and they bury him alive for seven hours. And that was, um, he dug his own grave, his own grave. That was a technique as well. Um, seven hours was pretty crazy. You gotta be,
1: I was flipping when I saw that. Yeah. You
0: gotta be, that was at the end though. So he was, you gotta be at somewhat of peace to be in the ground for seven hours. Um, yes. So that was the rebirth, um, symbol. And at the end, if you ask me, he had peace not really being able to put any type of name on anything, but he definitely did not have the same kind of anger. It looked like there was a new light to how he, how he was speaking. Um, but do you think he experienced the full wake up from everything there? Well, you could yeah. It's,
1: that seems to be like a question that I'm always kind of, wrestling with because there's certainly a transition like that is for sure a huge transition um but i don't know if he i i don't know if if he would have said that you know he completely grasped onto the god complex or the god system or understood the the oneness He certainly lost a lot of skepticism. And in that 120 days, one of the things that was, I thought, very interesting. And in those in that tribal society, they're explaining that the ayahuasca taken by the shamans is leading them to other plants with healing value, with medicinal value. And so in his 120 days, he's he's on these other medicinal plants. And he starts to have like this interaction with the plants because he has to go out and forge them. So he's learning gratitude with nature, gratitude with his own substance. So he's right there if he hasn't connected everything together. I mean, it's so close. I mean, it's almost like asking, could somebody be awakened and like not connect the very last dot? And then, which makes me wonder if, if I still have dots that I haven't connected. Like, I I don't want to put that on anybody because it's, it's clear you could see in his eyes after the 120 days, light is in his eyes that wasn't there before. And he even starts to sing with the shaman. So he's face to face with the shaman and they have this beautiful song that they go back and forth. And it's like the most positive thing you can say to the person that just sang to you, like obviously like if somebody is just sitting with you face to face and they just sing to you, like that's gotta be a pretty powerful moment. Like that's a, that's a moment of love, but the thing they say in response and acceptance to like demonstrate that love is you sounded like a plant. That's how they celebrate that moment. You sounded like that was beautiful. You sounded like a plant. And then he sings his song. He's like, "That was beautiful." He's like, not like a plant. Uh, so there's so much he's connecting there that I certainly wouldn't, you know, say that he's he's lacking anything. But he's also even in his own admission, still pushing further down that journey of peace through his own intention.
0: Yeah, I found it fascinating, too, how many people that he had reached out to here in this country. um, There were some non-mainstream people he had reached out to as well and tried different things. And just seems like if he could have just talked to someone that had just an ounce of truth and presence that... The shaman route, especially with um, the language barrier there, um, but I mean, it was it was it was definitely fun to watch. But I believe the answer is right under people's nose a lot of times, but they just don't see the people who who could show you the door, you know, because both his parents are looking at, okay, who's the doctor that can, can help him? Well, most doctors are just going to prescribe medication. So, I mean, what he was searching for was not a doctor, what he was searching for, like he didn't even know what he was searching for, but it definitely wasn't a, a, a doctor or someone to help him mechanically in that way. He wasn't, he wasn't looking for that. So he goes to Peru uh, to see shamans as a last-ditch effort, which it'd, it'd be really good to get follow-up of how, I don't know when that documentary was made, but I'd love to know how he's doing now, yeah, especially if he's plugged back in with his parents and how that story goes. It's
1: almost, you know, like uh, heroin addicts, like that set their their intent on going clean a lot of times like they have to go into a system of self-isolation like they can't they can't achieve their progress by just setting that intent because if they stay in the system that where they've been an addict all along there's too much temptation in that system but if you look at this guy he's he's got the He's basically an addict. He's trying to get off those drugs. And like the whole problem is like the entire system of the society. Like, so when he's trying to get away from his issue, he has to get away from literally everything. Like that's to the point where he's at. And and his intention is so clear there because he is. He's at the point where it's like, if I stay here one moment longer, I'm going to kill myself. And so he's, I, it is like, he recognizes like this system that made me, I'm not going to be able to heal from within this system. So it seems like he kind of, that's kind of what we were going back to. Like, when, would you watch V for Vendetta earlier? Like, there's like some weird intuition that a lot, that we all have, like he knew. Like he had to get out of that system. This is the same system that created me. This system has no idea how to fix me. And that it that intuition kind of led him on his sense of adventure. So that's always so weird. Like where's the first, what's the first door that you walk through? Like, and for him, it was adventure. That was the first steps that he started to take was adventure. For me, the first step was betrayal. <laughs> For you, the first step was like fighting through pain. It's like everybody's first step is is different, but it's still the first step in that direction to the path.
0: Right. Yeah, all I needed to hear was the answer was within. And I, I instinctively knew I, I was in a system that never showed me that door, but I also knew, I was going to be in the system, but I can find everything I need right here and now, and I can do it for someone like him. At the very end of the documentary, he even said, I know now everything that I need, it comes from within that. He he said those words and the, Mm -hmm. the point I was making, like no one, Around him of any type of spiritual elevation, whether even if they had to reach out to someone as, as doctors and, and prominent people to tell him, because I think if he had known, Hey, you, you know, it's all within that he went through all that to find out it's all within Yeah, you
1: think his skepticism uh, would have accepted that?
0: Correct. Correct. Like you saying, the only thing his intuition and his consciousness was going to allow him to do was what he, he knew, what you just explained. I have to get out of this situation. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I just, just going over the, I wonder if you could, have told him to save him all, all of that time. But I mean, you're taking away the journey that his intuition was leading him on. And ultimately he gets the prize because, you know, that was, that was the goal. Where do I find the answer? And at the end, he knew it was within no matter if he was fully awakened or not, he had found that peace. So he knows the door to push down to smash down now. So I find it interesting that here, People get to that point, like suicidal, that the people that may be right under their nose can't find at the time. Yeah. Because there's there's a lot of people out there like that would um, be able to talk to them in a non-psychiatry non-psych, psych, kind of way. Uh, in a natural healing kind of way. There's a lot of people. Even now, maybe he's, I mean, I could be beating a dead horse because he he may be back now in the States and the update is that he is a spiritual teacher himself. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I,
1: I would, it seemed like the story was kind of going in that direction. And, but I mean, to your point, you know, something right under your nose in terms of, you know, like somebody there to help you. I just, especially for him, because, you know, from that system, that's, that system that he grew up in helped him create the own hell in his mind. And that hell, when you look back at that system is just, filled with judgment so i mean even if somebody is in that system like raising their hand like hey i know a couple things i know some answers like that your judgment at that point i don't i think you could be surrounded by spiritual teachers at that point and if it's from that same system i think you could still be blind to them still when i completely go you just wouldn't trust anybody You wouldn't trust anybody. Everybody's just out for it for themselves. Everybody's, you know, it's like the preacher passing around the. The tithing plate, you know, you would just automatically assume the worst of everybody's intentions once you are done constructing the hell in your own head in the degree that he did. Because I can almost see that with me, like. mine was more, you know, pride and, and rightness, but cause like I had read Eckhart Tolle before. Oh really? Yeah. But I mean, I remember reading Eckhart Tolle early and saying to myself, something along the lines of this guy is very, very repetitive. And it seems like he believes if he just say something over and over, that makes it more true. Yeah. Like there's my judgment and there's my ego stepping in like, but I already know that clearly this present moment is all there is. Like I conceptually understand that. Obviously all my thought is in the past and in the present but it doesn't become more powerful if you just say it over and over again. So that would have been like my read on Eckhart Tolle. And I understand now he's got the most clear disciplined message out of anybody I've ever listened to. But in that other state, like you can't get through your own judgment. Like that ego does not allow a certain amount of processing. It just... It just serves as a barrier it doesn't let it sink in it guards it guards against that information coming into your heart like guards your heart but it doesn't mean that it doesn't like plant the seed like we always say like it's still like something like why did luke recommend this book to me like why has this book sold you know a zillion copies you know why is this guy on oprah so you you kind of go back to it like clearly something's going on there and more people are on so You're almost like you're being left out like something's happening and i don't get it but there's another trap it's like oh well whatever it is those those guys can handle it you guys read his book again he just says the same thing over and over and over again you guys apparently like just sitting there and saying it over and over until it's true now you can see clearly that he's really onto a deep message, and he's just trying to take it slow because he's ahead of everybody.
0: Well, uh, yeah, the redundancy thing. Uh, after you awaken, you kind of become a spiritual teacher. Your your only goal outside of you know your own self is. It, when you're talking or you're talking on a podcast or you're talking to people and you're talking on the level of, of how he's talking, your only goal is to uh, show show them the door or try to awaken just like all the greats did, whether how storytelling, yeah. parables, uh, small truths. Uh, that's the only thing you're committed to. And it's the only thing you can be committed to in that space to try to wake someone up and you're, you're planting seeds constantly. I mean, you're just, you're just doing what a a human does when it goes past the enjoying of the form becomes more of a non-form spiritual being and just starts expressing itself as a flow and not of a intellectual entity. So when you say that I can see your whole ego process, And I can I can even see the old cane and some of the things that the justification processes and the judgments. I can see I can see it so clearly now, especially when you describe it.
1: Yeah, because it's the same thing with like that kid and like he has to get out of the system in order to like he needs to take that first step of, of adventure and go to Peru. But for me, you know, like being in the system and staying in the system, and then you have somebody like Eckhart Tolle. And, like, the judgment, like, immediately, especially, like, the church background and stuff, immediately, the first thing I'm going to say is, how much were they spending for each copy? How much money did you make off that book? It was super successful, right? And so I'm going to know his intent. And as soon as I know his intent, now I just disregard his message. Because his intent is clear. Like I have a calculator. You made a lot of money. Congratulations. I wish I would have come up with just saying now is the most important thing over and over again. Like how did I not think of that? You know, so as soon as that money gets involved, because the whole capitalist system corrupts the entire message. It takes that message and puts puts it away from acceptance because the message is within the corrupted system but that's what makes him so beautiful is he's just bringing the message like right to the corrupted system that's why he was on oprah he wasn't afraid of nothing he's like i'm just gonna step right into the corruption and keep saying the same thing and, and when people want to hear it they will i can't i can't make them hear it but i'll just keep saying it you
0: know it's great and Then that's And that's who he is and that's all he was going to say and that's all he was going to be committed to
1: and I is clearly now i mean he's he's like the most beautiful human alive like i I have nothing but pure love i'm just so glad he's there so grateful that somebody took the time to just be so dedicated to the message the way that he the way that he was and is is amazing it's almost like there's there's pressure off. I mean, if you go through this state it just I'm like, well, I'm glad somebody put all that into words and so that part's kind of like taken care of, you know. Like you you're not going to make a better explan explanation of like what this discipline is and how to put it into words
0: than what he did. So you're doing a great job of analyzing the past ego strong structure tonight. My question is what would have worked as far as a spark? So what voluntary, involuntary, take anything off the table. What for you personally, what would have, and just for our knowledge, you diving into what it's made of and what the weak points are. What words, what action would have affected you the most? What would have gotten through that, if any? And I you know this is purely for knowledge and just probably over analyzing it because your awakening was perfect. So I mean it didn't need to happen any other way. But I'm saying in that life that 20 years, 30 years, whatever it was that the ego constructed, you have built up. Is there anything that anyone could have said that would have sparked, uh, that intuition to where you would have just immediately wanted to break through or that, that it would have just been like a slap in the face. Is there anything that would have penetrated you?
1: I mean the short answer is I have no idea. I it's almost um Yeah, I just I have no idea. I mean I get that sense of like, you know, what the hell took you so long? Like there's a lot of that. There's a lot of um it it seems like the way it happened like then it also should have been able to happen at multiple earlier times and then why didn't it because it did happen so easily and so quickly and i can't figure that out i i don't i don't know it, it seems mostly like there was just a a bunch of stuff like stacked on top of each other that created enough unstable weight to bring the entire structure down and so maybe in the past I was actually from my point of view back then operating a little better so operating a little faster fixing things a little quicker so they don't stack up like that and it's almost like stuff started to get away from like I'm losing ground like I'm not as good as I used to be I used to be able to handle this a little faster and I wouldn't let three things stack up like this. And now it's five or six. So it's almost like a regression rather than a progression that creates the instability in the structure of the ego.
0: Yeah, and I've never had the sense of it taking so long with you because I mean, you just watched a documentary that's 120 days long and your perspective on that has to be insane because yours was a, a minute, two minutes and you watching that documentary, I can relate to it. Uh, still, I can't relate to 120 days, but that it could have been, you know, how the program, the program might've been 120 days. So, I mean, I definitely can see for my perspective, once you commit, once you know where it is, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking more than two weeks as far as how, wherever your sincerity is. For you to see that documentary in 120 days, you got to be like, you got to be like, when is it going to come crashing down? You got to be standing the whole Absolutely. time, like, oh my god, he's. How did it not come crashing down the first day in Peru?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I'm definitely always left in that point of view where, um. You know, I just, I don't get it, but I mean it. it kind of fuels me. I mean, the, the thing that I identify with him is like that adventure and it kind of fuels me like in that way of adventure. And I mean, even if you talk about like you and I, like the stories are so different and obviously it's, it doesn't ever get to the point where like one is better than the other or whatever. Like it's all the same place in the end. And Where I take peace, I mean, it reminds me of us talking about nuclear annihilation. When when I take what I take peace in is somewhat of an understanding that this is kind of the script that he must have laid out for himself. Like, there's something that is beneficial to his awareness from doing it the way he did it. The same way there's something beneficial to my awareness doing it the way that you did it. The same way it's beneficial to you the way you did it. And everybody just, it's almost like the flavors of humanity. But I think it comes from like back in the system of pre-time. Like we just somehow set ourselves up with, you know, a chance of success of understanding ourselves connected back to the source and you just get in and you do the best you can and clearly if it happens it happened the way that it was supposed to
0: yeah I definitely get a sense of they're so different but so right so perfect and so beautiful yeah yeah that there, there is no argument for the different styles or, or different awakenings or uh, they're
1: it's trying to like talk about chocolate versus vanilla. You right. Know?
0: I mean, when I went outside for the first time, there was nobody to witness it with me. And I was perfectly okay with that because they there. That wholeness was there and it, it perfectly okay with that. What I got from your awakening was being able to witness you. That was almost like me awakening and going outside for the first time watching you. It was super like fulfilling in, in a in a way that was different, but I, w- I was still getting a, a lot out of it. Um, seeing the omnificence, and then you know seeing it realized by you in those moments was it was pretty amazing when it happened.
1: Yeah, Osho goes. That reminds me of like the master-disciple type parables and stuff, and the way one awakening affects another awakening. And then, so when we look at it and you take him and then you take you and then you take me and we, what we do kind of by default is you kind of isolate that, those experiences and you're like, why did he do it this way and why this, but, and why does somebody else do it another way? But what you just explained there, it's almost seems like it's more complicated than that. Like you have to take them all as a whole because you got something out of it when I woke up. So like you could you could give purpose to my awakening like beyond me. There was also purpose in you. And then this guy, you could give purpose in his awakening because I mean, we just walked, watched a documentary. We're obviously somewhat moved by it, which in turn gives purpose to us. So it's like the purpose isn't like on an individual level. The purpose is like wrapped up in the system and all the awakenings are driving the other awakenings and if if they could cluster hard enough i mean i've heard eckhart tolle talk about it then those can actually start forcing awakenings because there's such strong presence in areas so rather than it like being on an individual level it's like how they all operate together because the reason why mine affected you as the way it did is because you knew me for so long and obviously like we were always close we were we were never not close And what was so impactful for you is, I mean, there was no way I could hide the contrast from you. And there was no way that you could put any judgment on the contrast. I mean, it served you just as much as it served me. And then, so you have to say, well, it had to have been designed that way. And that's why we immediately said, You know, we need to start planting seeds out because you understand almost immediately that, oh, yes, this has to do with me, but it's actually serving something bigger than me. And then your intention now is, you know, I don't know how I'm going to affect anybody else, but my intention is to talk about the contrast and to plant those seeds and with not knowing what is going to happen just be okay with that. Like there they are. I plan that's that's all I can do and I'm I'm ready
0: for what happens. So yeah, if we had someone on the program and we were both here and someone had an awakening like you on the program, we would get the same thing that I got on the day that you woke up. It's so yeah. uh, overwhelming life for it. i mean i do know you better so the contrast in your reactions and the things that you were saying i mean i heard the word wonderful probably 30 times in three days <laughs> so that's things like that you pick up on but it didn't even uh, words didn't matter at that point is the energy level and the sincerity and the aliveness of, of what was going on i knew the last thought had happened and something and took over and, but if that happened on a program, it would affect us nearly the same way it's affecting that person nearly the same way. It would put you right back into that first week. It would put you right right back there. I mean, it put me, it, it would, it would be amazing. Cause it's, it's such a reciprocal thing as far as what you put out comes back to you. Um, as far as like universal law of, of what people call it karma, but on the spiritual level, like putting out the seeds that we put out. But if you put, put something out on the level of the seed and you witness a wake up, the level of what comes back to you is just overwhelming. I mean, that we, it was affecting my whole family, the energy. My whole, it was affecting yours more so. Mine, seeing bits and pieces of it it was more of a a shocker on your side, but I'm saying just me walking in the door, I was not even saying any words. I was affecting every, everyone knew something had made a pivot. Everyone knew that there was a higher energy and a higher vibration that was. Um, that was there. It was so noticeable. I think it's like, I think it's just
1: a force. I mean, it's like, it's like gravity. And I mean, gravity, you have two objects and there's a force that wants to connect those two objects. But there's also like a gravity to presence and that gravity is like you on the inside wants to connect with the environment on the outside and that force strengthens with the amount of presence that you have but then if you have two bodies that are in presence that's reinforcing that force and then the awakening you end up having there's like an event horizon so the event horizon in like a black hole and there's great um illustrations online that you can look like in theory if a human was sucked into a black hole like what does that look like and basically you hit the event horizon you start going around in the circle And what it looks like is like this, you know, piece of spaghetti that goes down into the spiral. But they also theorize like that spaghetti would be so thin that they would actually be marching atom by atom in single file, like into the black hole. But like that type of force. Is also there's like a. A white hole or a presence black hole or there's a force in presence that's very similar to that and you can get to the event horizon and you can't come back from that you can't it's going to do with you at that point what it's going to do with you you can't turn around the presence is going to be so overwhelming and your insides are going to connect with the outside environment in such a way that like Your old understanding of self can't be maintained anymore. And then you can see, like, if you get a few people in presence together, you can see how all that would interact with each other. I just think it's a force to that... um, so, I mean, it goes back to, you know, the reasons for awakening and, you know, why do they happen the way they do and why are they different? And it, there's there's a greater force. And that reasoning, I don't think that we can even necessarily inter- intellectually understand it, but it's it's like that gravitational force, that gravitational force of presence, like has an agenda all its own. And once you get caught up in it, like you lose yourself to such a degree where you're just going to be thankful that God doesn't tell you to build an ark because you're not going to be able to explain that to your wife.
0: (laughs) Do, Do you think that a group of people is more effective, obviously Eckhart and Osho, and they, they operate individually as most spiritual teachers do, but I was just picturing you know a stage of five to ten spiritual teachers that all have had an awakening experience that want to pass it on that it doesn't take on the idol form of of raising one individual up as more collective power is that a possibility because you see the figures get i mean teal swan now she's a big figure Famous, one person yeah, lifted up as someone that's maybe more elevated than another person. Obviously, we're two people, but if you take the combination of, you know, a group of people on a retreat that you almost take the idolizing out of it, like it, that it can't happen after a certain amount of people because we're joined together in a commitment of what's happened in our lives that you want to pass it on and take out the I'm standing alone thing, because ultimately we're not even, I mean, none of, none of the great spiritual teachers are standing alone. No one stood, stood alone, right. but when you make it that standing alone, is it more harmful to one, your legacy and one, the purpose of what you're trying to do, because most people take Osho, for instance, they became followers. I mean, and it turned into more of a religion. Most all the, all of them turn into religions if, if they're great, but it all, and they're all one person. But if you take a group of people that are committed to one thing, can they turn that into that? Yeah, boy.
1: I I don't know. It's like if you ask me, like, do Teal Swan, Eckhart Tolle and Osho like get along if they're on a stage? <laughs> like, I don't know what the answer to that question is, but I know all of them like require like a fairly rigid amount of like isolated self-care to maintain the level that they're at. Like if you hear about like Eckhart Tolle's day, I mean, it's a pretty isolated day. Like he's kind like in order to maintain the, the, the amount of presence that he has, like there's, it's a personal thing for him. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. And then, I mean, Teal Swan, if you saw the documentary, I mean, disruption in her inner circle seemed to cause term so she kind of needed to have things in a set type of way in order to maintain her spiritual vibrations and then osho is like the ultimate story of
0: of it going to complete chaos um so yeah but then is the ego involved there in somewhat in some way though i think it i mean in eckhart's
1: Tolly is the one where I would question that. Um, I think Osho would say himself that he would be fine bouncing in and out of ego. Like he, I don't think he would have. Um, I don't even know if he would try to defend himself from that type of, he just, he just loved the amusement of it all. And somebody just having fun and chaos um.
0: let me give you an example we're putting out what we're putting out over the next six months we have three guests that have a massive awakening like Kane they have a massive awakening the deck of cards fall they're super grateful we have a, the five of us have a relationship because we got something from it They we showed them the door they busted through it five people that had an awakening experience that I'm not saying there'd be five people on a podcast. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying joining forces say we do a retreat and the five people, the three that we know had sincere awakenings. They want to join us on stage two as, as a five or it's a six or it's a seven knowing the kind of awakening that they had i don't i don't see how we would have a problem with that because it's more in numbers yeah and so would people like me and you that had these same kind of experiences would be unbelievable on a retreat
1: yeah i see what you're saying saying? yeah and yeah would you create stronger presence gravity like Five of yeah. us.
0: So five of us, you know, maybe me and you were the start, but over the next six months, there's three more people. I don't know. I'm I'm just hypothetically saying, but we go on a retreat to help more people wake up and the power of our five presence. Number one, no one's elevated to Luke's the God of the show. Kane's the God of the show, whatever. So you never have that one piece where they have a moment to put Kane up here. Like as a Jesus figure. Luke up right. here, is it because that just like you were talking about the classification thing, they're going to a retreat yeah. too, just like that. Bam. You're, like, you're putting yeah. the last thing you want someone to do is put you on a pedestal to where they can not attain what you have. As soon as they do that, you become some type of religion and they exalt you and lift you up, which is the opposite. Yeah. You put five people there or six or whatever that number may be that you know have had sincere awakenings, that all they want to do is just pass it on. Zero ego involved in that. And I think there's even a higher frequency of vibration.
1: Yeah, so you could also, like, what would happen, like, with dualistic unity? Like, if the four of us could sit down, especially if we could all be together. I mean, and then imagine if, like, we could have, like, our own personal 90-minute meditation session before we hook up if like everybody could, yeah i mean that there's some interesting stuff there where i mean my only my only apprehension to something like that is i don't know if i can if i was feeling it to that degree would i have that much to say <laughs> so it's kind of becomes That's but maybe it wouldn't point. be about That's words the whole and, point it's about yeah.
0: elevated energy and and maybe you wouldn't say anything for an hour but at the right moment you have the exact right thing to say
1: right so in like a retreat setting or like a live setting then and and yeah you're creating that that and you're creating that gravity and like other people could feel it just being in the presence of that gravity yeah that's very interesting but i don't know if it works on a podcast
0: because it just
1: sounds quiet
0: to me no it's definitely not going to work on the podcast but i mean over time you think what we're putting out is you know it's what we're putting out. I mean, we're doing this for, for a reason it's intuition led. It's, it's, it's based on the fact of the experiences that we've had that, uh, we want to pass it on. It's not in our timing, but people come into our lives and put them on the show and, and, and we have a certain energy about us and things are going to happen sooner or later, but I don't see a coalition with other people out there to where that's the game plan for waking up more people. I don't see that. And I'm yeah, I'm kind of questioning why that isn't to be. And the only thing that I can see is it's almost like someone throwing elbows out. Like, you know, the ego gets involved. And with us, I don't, if, if your whole goal is to wake people up and it's about energy, I don't, I don't see that necessarily coming into play. I mean, for one, what like this, this program is selfless. Not one time. If we asked for money or, or, or anything, it's completely yeah. voluntary. There's zero ego involved. It's just a, a theme of pass it on because of what we've experienced it has nothing to do with right. anything. Capitalistic. It could become that if we want to do it for a living. I'm not saying that it, it couldn't lead into that, but the intention now is pass it on. Is that where you it it money?
1: Is that where it all goes into corruption? I mean, as soon as money gets involved, does it corrupt the ability for
0: people to work together? I think it's got to have something to do with it. I think it has something to do with it on the level of like an intellectual decision is made. I'm not saying like Eckhart Tolle has this massive ego where he wants all the money to himself, but at some point he makes a intellectual choice in his head that he's going to ride solo. No matter what experience he has with other people that may be like him, he's made that right. decision to be yes that one guy. He's and they all do it. They all they all make yeah. that same decision. Now I'm not saying it comes into play, but I'm saying and when they're planning with the business manager, they make the decision that this is who I am and I'm solo and that's, that's how, so the strategy for waking up people is I'm solo. I'm going to rattle off the flow solo. He definitely is on the correct path. That's his strategy. I'm saying the uniqueness of, of what we're doing, we're already two people. I think there's a little bit, We were always asking why two. Yes, two is unique why... in itself. No, no doubt about yeah. it. I'm not saying we ever. Um, I'm not even saying that's the roadmap in the future for us. I'm the point I'm trying to get at is: do the people that you affect and 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 wake up on your path have a role to play on your ongoing journey, or do you know do they just go on and and do their own thing, roguely? I mean that that's, that's part of the process too. And I've heard, um, dualistic unity talk about it too, with his clients. How how do you have a business model on the fact that you want to help someone and they don't need to come back to you. So the business model on that is not very good. And they've, they've actually discussed that because you don't, we're not in the business of people coming back over and over. Right. Yeah, and,
1: and Eckhart, I mean, he could be in such a level of presence that like what you described, so we keep kind of talking as if that gravity is created by like proximity, which I think I think it is. I think there's something to explore there. But I mean, from the point of view of Eckhart Tolle, I mean he could see it as like that proximity might not necessarily be as important to the gravity. Like he might have like a bigger, so if he's just leaving a trail of like awakened people behind him, as long as he keeps doing what he's doing. And then that trail ends up being, you know, little clusters of people here and there that do their own projects. You know what I mean? And he might just be as long as my wake as I move through the water is this big, I'm just going to keep moving through the water. I'm like, I can't turn around and deal with what's going on back here because that's just the wake that I'm throwing. But he could be leaving, you know, he could be leaving gravity in the presence. And he could understand that on a level that, um, you know, you would only understand
0: if you're him. No, oh, I can get that. Uh, I, I don't know what the answer is moving forward as far as just different strategies and it could be me and you doing this the way we're doing it until we're not doing it anymore. So I I definitely get, if if you wake someone up, they're not necessarily maybe even going to want to join for, they want to do their own thing anyway. I mean, it's like the woman who walked in yep. the first when she left V's house. She walked outside and and, she, and said, "I'm yep, I'm I'm ready, ready I'm to out. leave now." So that's a natural. Yep. We have to be a situation where our intuition is just blaring at us, like this was a situation that happened where we feel that this energy is is going to be substantial to the two of us that's really going to help wake people up well we said that too like real early on like
1: in terms of you know why do things happen the way that they did and one of the big ones for the both of us is there's so much structure of family attachment built up and it becomes very very clear very very quickly that like I need to return to my responsibilities of form. And even with this massive new understanding, like some of that attachment, I mean, just remains, it remains solid. Like that's my responsibility, but it doesn't change the fact that there is something that just happened where if this responsibilities of form would, would have been different, I could easily see myself of not having another attachment for the rest of my life. I mean, we we were saying where, like, you could you could be, you know, Tom Hanks and Castaway or something. Like, I can easily see it going in that direction where to maintain your own vibration and peace, you just retreat to more solitude.
0: When you said the Castaway thing, I have to tell this story because... It happened many years ago after the uh, awakening that I had. And there was, I live in the Bible Belt. So, <laughs> yes, you do. Which, I mean, it's not unusual for Southern America. The Bible Belt's pretty freaking huge. Everything south of Kentucky. <laughs> I mean, it's minus right. Florida, but Florida's kind of a Bible Belt, too. Um, so I'm probably more the norm than you are as far as is this country is 50-50. We'll say it at that. The goal, the goal was always of, of religious leaders was always to get the devil out of me. That was the goal um, because of My behavior as far as, you know, not, not needing to go to church on Sunday or anything after a spiritual awakening, going, sitting anywhere, listening to someone talk on, on stage about something they know nothing about just doesn't, um, appeal, um, and the effort was there. I'm not saying that there wasn't any times where I was like, okay, let me go see if any, any, I hear anything, If I don't hear anything. I never go back. It's just that simple. I mean, I, I don't never had any type of judgment to where I didn't want to at least hear where a person was coming from. But when you hear that they're not coming from anywhere substantial, there's no reason for me to invest any more time. So that's me here in the Bible belt. They hate that they hate, me (laughs) for that more so many years ago than now the whole castaway thing when you just said that a actually two of them come to my house right come to my house to i guess a personal invitation feel me out um try to see what was inside of me i don't know i don't know what the motivation was but i was super aware super present i think it was right around the time it was that small house right after skylar was born i think you came down to visit that one year but it was in that small house one of our first house houses after skylar was born and that's when it gets really crazy especially when you have small kids like how dare you not be going to church you have know, all kids right. if you don't go to church they're gonna go to hell what are you doing? you a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things that came up, I don't, I don't even know how it came up. It had to do with the justification of, I made the point that I could be on an island It just, it just resonated with me what you just said. I made the point. This is me like what? 22, 23, 24. I told these two guys in my house that I would be perfectly fine on an island by myself. And I didn't do it to try to instigate it. I did it because of how they were approaching me. I did it like they were in my house asking me questions. And that was the appropriate answer for what they were firing at me. So I didn't go these guys' house right. and say, you know what? You guys are idiots. I can be happy on an island. I don't need anyone. And then it was a response out of love, just like you just said right there, as far as castaway, the whole castaway analogy. I told them sincerely I could be on an island and be happy, and I meant that. Now I wasn't taking anything away from my family or wanting to leave. I, I was making the point. I was making point that i don't need you i don't need you i have everything i'll ever need within i don't need that i don't need the corruption i don't need what's in you because what's in you is this whole trip is about your ego driven ways your whole trip is about some type of salvation figure in in getting the devil out of a person where it's completely backwards you're run by demons and (laughs) you're in my house Saying that i I need the devil out of me, can you see yeah. how the word backwards was so prevalent mm-hmm. everything was backwards, especially after waking up I made that point and then all the only thing coming back is always going back to well you know man created uh or God created woman so that man wouldn't be lonely <laughs> <laughs> God created woman so man wouldn't be lonely. So the that's the egotistical point to make. The whole point is that I didn't say, I didn't say I'm ready to go on an island right now and be happy. I knew I had responsibilities. My point was put me on an island by myself and I'll be happy. That right. was my point. They totally missed it. They totally yeah. missed it. And who knows what kind of seed was planted? I don't I don't know where these guys are today, but I'm, I'm saying the degree of staying committed and on point and on message no matter who comes. The biggest thing I got from awakening is there's no one or no organization or no thing, anything that can ever take that away from you. They can't take it away from you. You could put me on an island. You're not going to make me unhappy. You're not going to make the point because I'm just going to be and it's going to be blissful. And you can't understand that. And I know you can't understand that. So it's pretty much the end of conversation and then out the door they go. And it's, it's, it is what it is like, Oh my God, I've never heard this kind of talk before. Where is this coming? And literally when they say that, they mean that no one would ever come against that type of language like that, but I wasn't being mean. I was coming from a place of love. Right. But it was a, how dare you moment. But, what are you talking about? I'm I'm grounded, coming from a, a good place.
1: It goes full circle back to V, where that inch and that hope, you know, they can't take it away. Like no, there's, perfect. There's stuff you can't take away.
0: Perfect analogy because one of the one of the things that I have the strongest gratitude for is the knowledge and the internal knowing that you're you're enough in, in in your own skin as far as. Um, Period. Yeah, <laughs> what saying you're enough under your own skin has so many different degrees. So many people struggle with what just like that kid going to college or I have to do this or I have to do this or you have to do this to get here or you have to do this to get to heaven my strongest real realization was I'm enough right now. That simple like statement, I'm enough right now. Like the relief, I don't have to do anything. Like there's nothing to prove here. There's no Brownie point system. There is nothing. You don't attend this to attain this. There's no, there's no reward structure. It's either conscious or unconscious consciousness or unconsciousness (laughs) and discovering that is so empowering is a simple statement but so many people would probably miss is that everything you are right now is everything you need to be that's it it's so simple it's so powerful and people in an, in an organization with their own agenda can't understand that they can't grasp it because it's all ego driven.
1: Isn't that the truth? That was good. There's an amen brother right there.
0: Amen brother. I turned myself into the preacher. (laughs) I'm backwards tonight. (laughs) That's 210. Yes. Signing off for me. I'm good.
1: Great talk. Love you, bud.